This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Carol. Welcome, Carol. How are you? I'm doing great. Hi, Annie. Hi. So, Thanks. so good to have you here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't you sort of walk us back to the beginning where everything sort of started for you? Yeah, so um, I guess I, I would I would start off by saying I was not um, a big party girl when I was younger. I grew up in Western Mass, um, and I you know I did typical you know drinking beer around a bonfire in the woods with my older brothers or um, just you know the typical teenage things. I mean I I, I don't even think I drank wine until maybe after university, it was really kind of beer drinking with, you know, like I said, friends out in the woods and then, and, and some drinking in college, but not, not super exaggerated. It wasn't until later, much later in my twenties and thirties. And then um, later I moved to Italy and started really getting interested in wine um, from a kind of professional perspective um, because I got into tour guiding and so forth. And I, I, I really kind of um, used the, 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 you know, the, the, my knowledge of wine as an excuse, I think, to drink a little bit more than I needed to. And then it just kind of evolved from there. And so um, in your, when was sort of your first drink? Was it in college then? Or was it, did you dabble at all in sort of high school? No, no, high school for sure. No, no, no. My first drink was absolutely in, in high school, um, drinking with my older sister, a little bit with my brothers and then um, friends and, you know, friends in the woods and after school and on weekends. Oh yeah. Yeah. We used to drive around in cars and drink beer. I mean, I, I do remember drinking as, as, as a teenager, but I, I don't remember, you know, blacking out or drinking way too much or getting sick or anything like that. Um, I was relatively shy and quiet and a bit afraid of other things like pot and drugs. And so I, I, I kept it pretty, let's say under control. It wasn't until I, I would say, you know, later in college and then moving to Europe later in life that I really started started drinking more. So, so what happened in Europe? Why don't you take us there and tell us about that? So I actually, st- I, I studied something completely different than what I've been doing for the last 25 years of my life. I studied journalism and film and video. Um, 
both in Boston and San Francisco, lived in San Francisco for a while, was involved in the film industry there, and then started just traveling on, on my own to Europe and other parts of the world. And, and I got very excited about, you know, trekking and adventure sports. So trekking and mountain biking and road cycling and, and did a lot of biking in different parts of the world, especially in Italy, because my grandparents immigrated from Italy to the United States. And so they still had family here in Italy. And I would come my summers and, and spend time with my family here in Italy and bike around. And anyhow, this passion for cycling kind of led me to um, uh, a career in active tours. So I came to Italy in the early 90s and was leading bicycle tours for a good seven, eight years for, for a large company that does only bicycle tours in Italy. And then later moved into um, trekking and hiking trips. And, um, and then a couple of years ago, started my own company um, doing active tours, but also very much focused on, on food and tastings and um, so this has been kind of my life work now for more than 25 years. But wine is a big part of all that, of course, yeah. living in Italy. And, um, you know, I've seen a couple of your, I've seen a couple other of your podcast interviews with people in the wine industry. It's always so interesting to me to, to, to hear other people like myself or talk to other guides um, about this issue because I think it's pretty common that people who work around wine um, or any kind of uh, alcohol can find themselves in pretty tricky situations um, with abusive situations because you're just in 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 our case with groups you're just drinking you know you you drink at dinner with them every night and it just becomes this kind of habit and then they go to bed and you sit around with the other guides and <laughs> drink until much later in the in the evening so you know it was kind of a it was it was very accepted amongst um the sort of guide culture over here in europe it's yeah. changing now though it's changing and yeah i've heard that certainly from lots of different people in the wine industry one one woman um joanna she's like yeah it was you know me on one side until it was me on the other side when I realized that it was coming for me too. <laughs> like it was, you know, kind of inescapable. Um, or people who are bartenders who no longer drink or own bars who no longer drink because it just, you know, you it accelerates. Um, we're all, drinking is a trajectory and being, you know, having it be so normalized and just so exposed to it, it definitely accelerates things. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, what was some of the moments, or go ahead. I I would agree with that absolutely. It's just um because because then you become part of a a kind of culture within your own industry, and then it just becomes kind of normal to. I've talked to a lot of sommeliers who who say you know they they're sometimes drinking all day long, and they're taking small sips here and there of and tasting different things, but by the end of the day they're pretty far gone. So. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, so what were some of the moments um, in this time that you started to realize like, wow, this is, this is not exactly the romantic thing I thought it was. 
Well, I started not drinking on tour because I realized that I wasn't able to sort of keep it together and keep everything organized and flowing and take care of people. Of course, we if we had to drive the van and take people to out to dinner or whatever, we wouldn't drink. I mean, that 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 was a pretty obvious thing, but then there were there were you know, in the past, there were times where, where we drank a lot on tour. And any, anyhow, as I was like getting older and, and realizing like, I, I just can't drink on tour. I stopped drinking on tour, but then I would come home and, you know, have weeks in between tours and, and sort of make up for the drinking that I didn't do on tour at home. And, I, and, and I realized at that point that it was not, I did not have a healthy relationship to wine. I mean, I, I knew that I didn't even while drinking on tour and then I stopped drinking on tour and then realized that, you know, there, 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 there was an issue that there was a bad relationship. So my, my approach to it though was really interesting because I said, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do a detox or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, um, I'm going to fast, I'm going to fast. And then after my fast or detox or whatever, I'll just clean out my body and I, I won't want a drop of alcohol ever again. You know, all these kind of funny mind games. And I worked with um, a nutritionist and, you know, and then of course, eventually drank again. And then I, I thought, well, you know, I'll try AA and went to AA and had a, a short, short, short-lived experience with, with AA, and then that kind of led to looking online and learned about hip sobriety and different things, which eventually led me to the 30-day alcohol experiment. And then from there, I did the intensive, still drank during the intensive, and then went to the path. And I think it was two months into the path, I got sober. So December 13th, um, was a year. So it's a year and four days now. Yeah, congratulations. That's so amazing. And I want to dig into um, some of your story through the pandemic too, as we've discussed previously, um, because I know it was, it was hard and you stayed the course and it was beautiful. Um, but before we get into that, what was it about, like, what was the final sort of shift for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's and sometimes an- you don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, I, you know, people say I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, there's that, but, but it was really, I have two teenage boys and it was so tiring. And I, I mean, disgusting sounds like a really strong word, but I was disgusted with myself. I felt like I'm, I wake up in the morning. I feel, I feel horrible. I see my sons and I don't even have the energy to engage. Um, but I did anyways, you know, you, you, you have to fake it to some degree. I, I, I made it through life. I was running a business. I was doing everything on the surface, um, very high functioning or whatever, but I felt so bad all the time. I just felt bad. And I think that, that, that the inner shift was sort of just, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't live this way anymore. It's just, I'm not living up to the best person that I can possibly be. And so it's gotta stop. It's just gotta stop now. Now I did drink after that, <laughs> you know, I had data points here and there. So, um, 
And it's interesting to think about how that, how those incidents happened. Um, but you know, here I am, um, and um, I'm alcohol free and life is completely different than it was before. That's so awesome. So in what ways is it different? How would you describe the difference? Well, it's much more vibrant on every level. So yeah, I feel all the feels. I feel sadness and intensity. And um, especially this year with the pandemic, I lost all my work. And it, in fact, I was, I, I, I was a little bit worried in the beginning, um, like what was going to happen with, with the pandemic and knowing that I had so many months ahead of me without work and so much time at home. And I lost even a lot of my writing work because I do a lot of blogging about Italy and all that kind of was going away. Um, and I, you know, I think I just, I, I knew that if I went down that path, it was over. I, I just, I knew that if I, if I went down that path, it really, it really wasn't going to make things better. Of course, as we all know, it makes things 10 times worse. Um, but anyhow, to answer your question, life is, um, well, especially here in Italy, I feel so lucky to live where I live. I live in a beautiful place. I'm out in nature every day. I have two gorgeous children. I have a beautiful career that, you know, it'll come back. The trips will come back, work will come back. And I've had to really dig deep to figure out what I'm gonna do um, to get through this year, you know? So actually, Annie, it's really strange. I'm gardening right now. I'm, I'm, I'm working um, for a cooperative, an Italian cooperative gardening um, for big villas up in the hills behind my house. And it's really funny because that's sort of my family business. And it's something that I never, <laughs> never thought I'd be doing, but here I am doing it. And at least I'm out in nature every day and it's a temporary thing, but I'm learning all about gardening. And um, so life is beautiful. And um, I think it just feels so much more colorful. And I'm, I'm not super religious. I am very spiritual, but I go to bed at night and, and like say thank you to God. And I don't, I'm not like a God person. It's just, it just kind of comes out. I think it's because I, I was sort of raised, you know, with a God, but, and it's just, it, it could be anything though. It's just a thankful, I just feel so excited when I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, just about everything that I have, it's gratitude. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's hard to feel that when you're feeling sick all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. So true. And so you had some really intense challenges. I mean, you were like, and you're still in Italy, but I remember we were talking at the beginning about lockdown and it was literally almost illegal for you to leave your house, like just to go for yeah. walks. And, um, and then your, you know, your travel business was the bottom was falling out. And, um, can you talk to us about how, what some of those challenges were and how you navigated them alcohol free? Yes. So back in March, um, back in March, they they, they, they were changing things every couple of weeks. So there was like phase one, then phase two, but in phase one, um, 
basically the prime minister got on, on Italian te television and said, you cannot go more than 200 meters from your house. So in other words, if you have to go out and walk your dog, <laughs> that's fine, but that's it. And so for me, that was just, that was just horrible. I, I, I couldn't imagine like not being outside and in the outdoors every day of my life in some way or another. So fortunately, I live in the countryside. There are paths leading out behind my house that nobody ever goes on. And I was kind of sneaking out and getting some exercise anyways, because it was the only way that I was not going to drink, actually. It was the only way. Um, and my kids were kind of giving me a hard time because I was like breaking the law or whatever, you know, and kids can be that way. Like they're, they're looking after you and are you doing things right? And it, and I, and I explained to them, I just said, you know, there's, I have no choice. I must do this. I must for my own sanity and my own health, I must go out and walk. And so I'd go out and walk for three, four hours. Um, and then, you know, they lightened that up a little bit. Then they said you could go exercise. Maybe a few weeks later, it, it, it opened up a bit and you could go exercise as long as it was like um, within a certain number of kilometer radius from your house. So people were biking and running and walking a little bit. Um, but it was, a, it, it was a very strange period. And what was really interesting, I always say this, is that Italians followed the rules. Like the prime minister said, this is lockdown, we're doing this. You know, numbers are out of control. People need to just stay in their house and only go out for these three reasons, you know, pharmacy, um, supermarket, whatever. And of course, with masks and everybody did it, which is really interesting because Italians are breaking laws and rules all the time. And they're sort of notorious for not following the rules, but everyone followed the rules. And um, it was really kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, tourism and, and a few other industries completely dried up and are still really struggling. I, I have lots of colleagues and, and friends and people I know who are no longer able to work in the industry um, or had bus businesses that closed. Um, so my trips have been put on hold, but, you know, things will pick up and I still have trips booked for next year. And I, and I feel now at, at, in this moment, quite positive that everything's going to come back. But there was a period um, during the path and thank God I had the path because I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have that group and Scott. And, um, you know, there was a period where I, I, it was pretty dark and pretty, pretty grim. Yeah. It's yeah. been a long year. It's, it's been crazy, but look at you. You're so like happy and peaceful and just I don't know, it was such a positive outlook. Like uh, even talking about the business, you're like, it's going to come back and it totally is. So, I mean, that's just awesome. I love that. Do you think you would have that access to kind of that positivity or that outlook or that hope if you were still drinking? Oh gosh, no, 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 absolutely not. Um, and you know, and I, I mean, of course, alcohol is a depressant and I never really understood if the negative thoughts come first and then alcohol just kind of, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Then alcohol just 
um, motivates further those the, the, those alcohol um, the, the the negative thoughts, or if you know, or if it's the other way around. I mean, I just feel like it's so easy to get down and, and go down a dark path when there's alcohol involved, and um, all, always feeling uh, you know out of shape because when you're when you're drinking a fair amount, you know, you just can't go out and run or ride a bike. I mean, maybe you can go for a walk, but, you know, just always feeling like I was overweight and not, you know, fit enough and always beating myself up for that. So it's like this negative thought loop that just keeps going on and on and on. Um, so would I still be, uh, would I be hopeful about my business? Probably not. Um, I think I'd be a bit in a big self-pity party about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the things, Carol, that I, you said, you know, I don't know if it would have been, you know, effect, it was, it was kind of like, does alcohol affect our emotions? And um, I've been doing a lot of research recently on emotions in general. And I've been reading this amazing book. Actually, I'll show it to you. It's um, How Emotions Are Made by Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. And uh, there's there's a lot of stuff and from her work and then some other sources, I've kind of you know been looking at emotions in this way that there's really three layers. And so if you think of the first layer, the first layer is like your affect. And so affect is a word for what you actually feel inside your body, right? So if you feel, you know, you, you can have feelings that you have since you were a baby, you can feel calm or you can feel riled up. You can feel excited. You can feel energetic. You can feel hungry. You can feel tired. This is what you actually feel inside your body. And then the second layer, um, it's what Lisa, Dr. Barrett says is that this is where emotions actually come from. It is um, meaning. So what meaning we give to the feeling based on sort of past predictions of things that have happened in our lives or circumstances that have happened. And then I would actually say that there's a third layer. And I think that layer is, and we judge ourselves for our emotions. And so we almost add suffering to the first two. So, so you can like, you know, ratchet up the intensity in terms of like, you could just wake up and you could feel a little bit like, you know, rumbling in your stomach and heart beating. And then you could give it a meaning like, oh my gosh, I'm having a panic attack. And then of course that like perpetuates the whole thing. It feeds back into your feeling, into your physical body. And then you can judge yourself for, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't be having a panic attack. I'm, you know, like why everything's perfect in my life. And then of course that is like, just adds to the emotional thing. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because removing alcohol changes your affect. Like it actually changes the chemistry inside of your body. So when you are drinking, um, your body responds to alcohol by releasing like adrenaline and cortisol, which are uh, stimulants in order to counteract the depressant nature of alcohol. So when you stop drinking, you just naturally feel more peaceful. And of course, then it's up to us to decide, you know, what meanings we are going to give to the times where things are anxious or things are, we do feel intense, or there's situations happening in our lives where, you know, especially during um, lockdown and everything else where you, you do feel totally out of control. But I do think that there's a huge connection with the actual physicality of your feelings and drinking. Absolutely. 
That's so interesting, Annie. I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the meaning part because I'm wondering if the meaning is just a collection of thoughts or a thought and, and, and can it change too, like depending on the day, right? Like you could give meaning to one emotion one day and maybe a different meaning another day. Like, and what, it, what is meaning? Like it's so tied to like our cultural background, our experience, our life experience. Um, but that's fascinating. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think meaning is all of those things. So, um, you know, in my, you know, a good example of this would be, uh, there's been, she talks about studies in this book where the chemical reaction in your body for the feeling excited is the same as for the feeling anxious. So like actually the sweaty palms, the rumbling, you know, stomach, they're the same. So this, you know, this situation, it's the same affect, but if you are walking onto a stage and you decide, oh my gosh, I'm terrified, then of course that's going to go in one direction and your body is going to respond. But if you decide, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I get to do this. That's yeah. going to go in one direction and your body's going to respond, right? You could be uh, feeling, um, you know, rumbling in your stomach. The example she gives in the book is feeling rumbling in your stomach. And if, if the situation that you're in is you're in a bakery, you could make that mean you're hungry. But if the situation that you're in is you're in a hospital waiting room, you know, obviously the context is going to be like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like what's going on? What's wrong? And of course it's not, it's not just as simple as that because of course it's, it is like there, are, there is a reality that you're in the hospital versus the um the bakery but our ability she makes the argument that our ability to have control over the meaning although it is something that you put time and effort into and obviously you know all about the act technique from the path it is one of the primary ways we manipulate that lever of meaning so i would say in your emotional health or your emotional set point there's really three layers so you've got your affect and the way to manipulate that layer would be stopping drinking. It's a brilliant one. You know, like you were getting outside into the into the fresh air. That right. totally changes it. Um, friendships, actually. She she states research that says, you know, your affect is help it regulated when you have other people around. So your sons or your family, whatever the case is. Um, uh, nutrition, sleep, meditation, all of these things can actually change our physicality. And then when our physicality is changed, you're much less likely like if it's the old acronym hungry angry lonely tired this is why that makes sense because you could be you know angry and then just make that mean you know something that you have to escape and you've created all these meanings all of a sudden you're drinking you could be hungry and all of a sudden you're drinking so if if you know that you're not hungry if you know that you're not lonely if you know that you're not tired you know and and work on those things that's managing your affect which is that first lever so you have control there um, and then the most control, and I think it takes longer and it takes more repetition because we do have pathways in our brains that are based on very repetitive thinking that we've thought millions of times before. And most of our thoughts are recycled from the day before. So we do have these pathways, but they are absolutely malleable and changeable according to neuroplasticity. And so the, the lever of meaning is the place that, although it takes more work, 
you know, it's more work to change your meaning for alcohol than it is to just start going on a walk every single day. It doesn't feel like more work, but it is because it is like it takes, you know, I mean, you've, you experienced it. You went through many, many different iterations of knowledge before the shoe finally dropped. Right. And then, so, so this lever, it, I would say takes more work and investment, but um, is the biggest bang for your buck. I would credit me changing my meaning lever and, you know, my repetitive thinking and what I made things mean about myself, about my life. I was responsible for me getting off antidepressants and, you know, really moving into like a much freer, happier space. But I would say that that wasn't possible until I changed my affect, which was the drinking. So none of that was possible until I stopped drinking. And then I really started to work on the, the meaning um, and, and just little things like I would change my meaning. I might've, I might've told you this story when you were in the past, but I would change the meaning of walking into my house and it being cluttered or not picked up from nobody cares about me. Like they don't understand how hard I'm working. Nobody wants to put things in the right place, which by the way, is such a silly meaning. Cause there's no, you know, three, six and nine-year-old thinking those thoughts. Right. And, and certainly my husband who's trying to manage all those kids is not, Oh, I'm just going to leave the mess. Cause I just don't care about my wife. Like that's not happening, but, but that was my meaning. And I wasn't even conscious of it. So I'd walk into the house and I'd feel immediately triggered and upset. Right. And then I was able to change it through work, of course, to, wow, if the house is a mess, like means everybody's alive and it's well-lived. Like this is a life well-lived and here we are, like, this is great. And especially during COVID when everybody's home all the time and like, geez, keeping a lid on the clutter is like impossible. Um, <laughs> exactly. it's just awesome, right? And then I think the next layer, you have a lot of ability to change too, and that's in judgment. And that mm -hmm. can be instantaneous, just stop. <laughs> just stop judging yourself. All feelings are okay. All thoughts are okay. Everything is okay. Just stop judging yourself for having a human experience, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so interesting how powerful um, our thoughts are. And I also think that, you know, um, I've got, I've, I've had like ebbs and flows with journaling, um, but I'm back in, I'm back in my journaling phase. And I've been um, asking myself, questions in the morning like instead of just like writing down three things i'm grateful for and then just free free flow writing i've been asking myself questions like so what are three limiting beliefs that i have about myself um you know besides three things that i'm grateful for and then and then you know three things that i could do differently today than i did yesterday or just like sw switching it up and, and just writing those things down. And then I'll think about it again, like during the day. It's just so interesting, I think, all these things, how when we have a clean body and a clean alcohol-free brain, it's amazing how, it's like, I feel like it's my superpower. I've heard people say this before, but now I really feel like it's a superpower. Yeah. Like I, I feel the same way, like, you know, a superpower and just like such a badass, like just feels so good, you know, in, in such, such good ways. So that's amazing. Um, I love that. So aside from, you know, all of the stuff we talked about with <laughs> the craziness of life, uh, how, how else has it been? Have you, have you had any other, um, you know, difficulties or bumps in the road with being alcohol free for a year now? Um, I still haven't 
lost the weight that I want to lose. And I'm, and I'm, and I think for a long time, uh, especially with, you know, me getting alcohol free sort of during the pan pandemic, essentially, um, cause it's, it's been since December of last year, but, but, but the whole thing sort of fell to the ground here in Italy, early March, the first week of March. So it, it's kind of been like, and I, and I, and I think I, shifted a little bit of my um I don't know bad habit to food a little bit in the beginning because you know how you do that like oh well I can eat chocolate because I'm not drinking wine or I can um and even though I was walking and doing all this exercise I still um didn't lose any weight I didn't like put on a ton of weight but I'm still sort of struggling with with that and I you know you hear people talk about this all the time, um, you know, in forums and, and different, different, whatever Facebook groups about, oh, I thought I was going to stop drinking and lose all this weight. And it just doesn't really happen that way, yeah. <laughs> especially later in life. But it's, um, so that's been a little bit of a struggle. Um, you know, I've been, but I've done all these amazing things this year. I, I, you know, people are always like, oh, you know, it's just so awful what's happened to you and your your business and you don't have any work and that's just horrible. I've had so many people say that to me and I'm like, yeah, it's it's not so great, but all these amazing things have happened. You know, I've, I've pitched my company to some investors. I started a whole series of alcohol-free tours in a program called Nutre. I've, you know, I, 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 I'm in the process of buying a little house next to a piece of property that I already own in the Cinque Terre. Um, oh. But it's, so it's something that, you know, I'm gonna slowly pay off because I don't have the money to buy it now, but it's it's something that's sort of coming together anyways. And just all these kind of amazing things are happening, even though, yeah, my business is not moving forward at the moment and we're still in a pandemic and, who knows when the vaccines are going to happen and people are going to travel again and all the, there's all these question marks, but there's all these amazing things that happened this year also. So I think those things happened because all of a sudden there was this huge space and within that space there I was with the wherewithal <laughs> to work on these other things and see how I could get some things moving creatively and in a forward moving direction, even though my business was at a standstill. But I, I, I don't think I could have done that drinking. Yeah, yeah, it does. You need the space because if you fill it with alcohol or you numb away the motivation or the desire or the feelings or the pain of not being where you want to be, like you get rid of all of your momentum, you get rid of all your reasons for changing. I mean, it just it just goes away. So I think that's so, so true. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. But I will, I will mention this one other thing that I think is really interesting. Um, so before last December, um, let's see, six months before I went alcohol free, my, my brother died. Basically, he drank himself to death at, at 63 oh. years my oldest brother, really, really sad. Um, and then six, six months before his death, there was um, a 
colleague of mine um, about my age, we had worked together for many years, um, who also had huge issues with alcohol and ended up taking his own life. And alcohol was all involved in that. Um, and so I had these two major events, major, you know, special people in my life um, leave this life because of alcohol and that still wasn't enough. I think it's really interesting sometimes how we have it just we have to go down our own path, so to speak, like it takes what whatever time it takes to get to where you finally just say okay enough is enough like I should have said that I said that at my brother's funeral actually. I mean, I gave the eulogy and I, I and I and I was like okay enough is enough, but then I drank again and and it's just so interesting the process is so different for everybody. Yeah, it's true. It's everybody has their own way and their own, you know. And sometimes it takes years. Um, sometimes it it doesn't, and it's all okay, you know. And we judge ourselves and compare ourselves to other people. I think we just do ourselves such a disservice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so great. Well, let me ask you the question that I ask at the end, um, which is, if you were going to go back in time to Carol, who was drinking, and you know, feeling like wanting to make a change trying different things like aid and stuff, what would you tell her about how life is like now? Hmm. Wow. Um, I would say that um, the vibrance that I feel is like 20 times what it was when I was drinking. There's an intensity and a clarity and just joy. Like, okay, and I don't feel joy 100% of the time, but the moments that I feel joy, the joy is so intense that I feel like a little kid. Like sometimes I feel like a little girl again, like woohoo, you know, it's just, it's, it's, um, it's an amazing feeling. And who wouldn't want to feel that? Like who would, and, and it's not, you know, a lot of people go alcohol free and they have horrible depression still. And um, like, you know, this is just my experience. I, this is just my, my own personal experience is that I feel the intensity of all emotions. And, as, and the one that sticks out the most, I think is joy. Cause that's the one that I feel more often. And I feel with such intensity. It's so true. I feel the same way. And sometimes you're just like surprised by it. It's like, wow, when did this show up? Why does this feel so good? Do I really get to live this life? Does it, why doesn't everybody see that life is such a gift? Why didn't I for like 40 years? Like what is, you know, it's like, it, it is. And um, someone reminded me, they're like, it's just a little shift. Like, you know, it's all the same stuff. It's not like any circumstance has changed. In fact, some things have gotten way worse but it's just a little shift emotionally, you know, just inside an internal shift, which is so cool. That's yeah. awesome. Well, this has been great. I really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate you coming on and telling yeah, us. Thank right. you, thank so you Carol. Thank you. 
Mines. If you asked me about the one thing that makes this Naked Mind so different from anything else, I would have to say emotion. It's the emotion people feel when they're really ready to make a change, when they've had that mindset shift, when they've gone through all the materials and the methodology, and they get this feeling that they're never going to get to drink again. They let that go and they think, oh my gosh, I never have to drink again. That change in emotion. And honestly, according to all sorts of new research, it is emotion, especially positive emotion, more than anything else that predicates how long a change in our behavior will stick and how long it will last. It's emotion. And so when you feel excited about a change in your life, when you're thrilled, you're making this new different change instead of feeling deprived or like you've been missing out, everything changes. And that's really what makes this naked mind stick for the long term. That's what makes it so different is we focus on how you feel and truly change your emotion around drinking. And if that sounds interesting to you, I want you to check out our self-guided path at nakedmindpath.com. Enrollment in this program is closing on June 11th. So you don't want to miss it. It's closing now. And this is the path to changing your emotion and changing your feelings so that you can really, truly find freedom in your relationship with alcohol. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.